This is Nightwatch, reporting from New York, Travis Marshall. Tonight, more on the news that has rocked Manhattan, if not the world. And we have some news today, and joining us to discuss the news is, as usual, Mr. Greg Wiseman. First, we're going to start off with some somber news. David Warner passed away at 80 due to a cancer-related illness, and he was famously on his show The Voice of the Archmage, a hell of an actor. Definitely a loss. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, As we talked about when we... uh, Previously, you know, the whole reason that the Archmage came back and became a major sort of villain for us was, you know, he was just this minor character in Long Way to Morning in the flashback sequences. And David was so incredible in the role that we were like, we got to do more with this guy. And Jamie was like, yeah, but you killed him off at the end. I'm like, I'll figure something out. We got to do more with this guy. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and of course, his work on our show as much as I love it is just not even a fraction of a fraction of his overall career. I mean, his work in films and, and, uh, television and, uh, just, you know, incredible year after year after year. I mean, the thing where I first really remember him from is, uh, him playing Jack the Ripper and, uh, uh, Time after time, and um, and uh, Rachel Ghoul in the Batman in Batman the animated series, and and uh, I just uh, you know even Wallander's father in the recent Wallander TV series with uh, Kenneth Branagh, I mean, just everything about David Warner's talent is spectacular. I think the first time I saw him was in Time Bandits replayed Evil. He was amazing as Evil. <laughs> I mean, there's Tron. There's so many. Tron, I mean, yeah. Uh, Tron, I think, is where I remember, um, like, the first time I remember seeing him was Tron. Always great. Often evil, but uh, also fun when he wasn't playing evil. And, of course, he was considered one of the, at the time, in the 60s, I think, was considered, like, the Hamlet, you know, in... Uh, on stage for a period of time until the next guy came along and became the Hamlet. Maybe Roger Reese was also in our show. <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he uh, was an amazing actor. And he'll be missed. He will definitely be missed. And we have some good news to discuss. We'll discuss the good news before we get to the really great news, because I know you're all chomping at the bit, but... We've seen some new merchandise at uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, NECA showed off the Steel Clan, Xanatos in his business suit, Xanatos in his Steel Clan armor, and we got our first look at Angela, too. And baby Angela! <laughs> that stole the show. She's even, she's even got a little egg! <laughs> <laughs> No, the figures were amazing. It was so good to see them. We were, like, chomping at the bit for, like, the first good pictures. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic seeing them. Have we and seen Elisa in her normal outfit? They ha- they've teased the silhouette of Elisa a few months ago on International Women's Day, but they haven't shown her off yet. But they did say they're going to show off some more at PowerCon, which is in about a week or so, and then again at New York Comic Con. So I have a feeling we're going to see her sooner rather than later. 
And finally, the great news. Dynamite Comics is releasing a new Gargoyles comic, and who's it written by? I think that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was somewhere, though. <laughs> yeah, somewhere, though. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I have uh, finished the script to issue one, turned it in uh, earlier this week. I've started on issue two. Uh, right now, we're uh, greenlit for a six-issue miniseries, but we're hoping that uh, that jumps up to 12 or more. Um, but we've got at least six, so um, we're locked in for that. And they've also told me that they're going to be reprinting both uh, the Marvel um, Gargoyles comics, which I don't consider canon, um, and the uh, SLG Gargoyles comics, which I do consider canon. Um, and so even the Marvel they... ones, which I, which I don't consider canon, have some great art and great stories. They don't quite fit in with our continuity, but they, uh, they're worth reading. I think they were fun. I advised on them or tried to, but never quite fit. But they were, they were fun to read. And they were drawn by Amanda Connor, who went on to be a big superstar Marvel and DC artist, so I can see why they would want to put that out there. Yeah. So are the next six going to be uh, picking up right after the SLG comics? I'm not going to say they're after. I'm not going to say whether they're right after or not, just because that would be a spoiler, and I think you know how I feel about spoilers. Oh, but, um, okay. They do, they do <laughs> take place after. Um, I'm not going to say how far after, but, uh, um, they are in continuity with the 65 episodes of the first two seasons of the show and the 18 issues, um, 12 issues of gargoyles and six issues of bad guys that were, uh, part of the SLG run. So that's our canon, those 65, those 18, and now these six. Awesome. So if you think of the um, SLG show... As the SLG comics is sort of season three, um, then think of this as season four. Fantastic. Nice. Are spinoffs like Bad Guys, Pendragon, and Time Dancer on the table? Well, they're not, not on the table. It's just that, you know, right now we're seeing what happens with these six issues. I mean, um, the, the key thing is to get Gargoyles going. Then if that's successful, then I'm sure... You know, in success, they go in and talk about a lot of things. But first, we have to sort of demonstrate that the fans are there, that they want this stuff. You know, it, it's about uh, first off seeing whether or not Gargoyles uh, as a comic book can be successful again. And if so, then I think, you know, you know, all things are possible. Uh, but right now, we have to see how the... Uh, orders go for these initial six. Fantastic. When when can we expect to see these hit the shelves? So I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I was even surprised that Dynamite announced it at Comic-Con. Um, no one warned me that that announcement was coming. Uh, not that I'm upset about it, just like, oh, oh, so you're telling people now. <laughs> I hadn't been telling people. <laughs> um, but uh, uh so I don't know. Uh, I've been told that with the announcement, um, they said that the first issue would be out sometime this year. 
Um, and that's certainly possible. Like I said, I turned in the script this week. There's time for it to get um, penciled and colored, lettered, edited, et cetera, and printed by the end of the year, um, you know, because it's only July. Um, but, uh, you know, you won't get all six this year. There's just no way that there's time for all six to be this year. But I would think that the first issue or two would be out before the end of the year, I would think. I haven't been given a release schedule. Do we know if it's going to be a monthly or a bi-monthly? I'm assuming monthly, but when I, you know, you asked that question and suddenly it occurred to me, oh, I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, my writing schedule is, uh, after the first issue is, uh, I'm supposed to deliver an issue every three weeks. Um, so I'm assuming that means they want the book monthly, but but we actually, I don't know, don't have a release schedule. So I don't know the answer. I assume I'll learn more later. One question that we think you can definitely answer how does it feel to be back right in, in this world for real? Um, it's pretty joyous, honestly. It really is. Um, the first issue, I don't think is it's a big surprise. You know, there's a lot of kind of reintroducing concepts and stuff like that. Um, without going into what the story is, I don't think it's uh, a spoiler to say that obviously in this first issue, I've got to sort of reintroduce things. There's stuff that long-term hardcore fans already know. Um, people who listen to this podcast, people who viewed the 65 episodes of the show, people who read those 18 issues of the SLG run. There'll be stuff that, you know, is being reintroduced that they'll know about, but hopefully in a way that's pretty organic as we take the story forward. But starting with issue two, which I've just begun writing, you know, now I'm really ready to hit the ground running and, and have some fun with it. And I think that that'll be a terrific. And I had a lot of fun writing the first issue. It's just, you know, there's also this responsibility to sort of make sure that someone who picks up this comic book isn't completely lost unless they've got an encyclopedic knowledge of the show already. Um, and uh, um, so I, I think uh, with each successive issue, the freedom involved will sort of ramp up and that'll be a lot of fun. But I'm already just thrilled to be doing it. I mean, just the, you know, the moment I get to put Elisa and Goliath looking into each other's eyes and issue one, you know, I'm already over the moon. Fantastic. I'm grinning so big right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for this. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me three. And we look forward to talking to you more about the comic as it goes on and eventually covering it on this show a long way from now at the rate we're going. But eventually we will get there and we're looking forward to bringing more news in the future. So, everyone, stay tuned. I'm afraid we're out of time. This has been Nightwatch. Sleep well. The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. 
Hello and welcome to Voices from the Erie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, the owner of the website that powers the program, spidey-dude.com. And I am the executive producer of the network that powers the program, the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Before we get started, though, I wanted to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash network, Greg, Jurgen, Vinkman, Scott, Kaylee, and Phoenician. Thank you for your support. And if you want to get the show, this show earlier, check it out there, as well as other fine perks that you'll get whenever you become a Patreon subscriber. There will be some exclusive content that's only for Patreon subscribers coming to you very soon. But before I turn it over to our hosts, I want to encourage you to check out our other fine programs, such as Spidey Dude Experience, ASM Classics, Make Mine Mayday, Bogle Rider Variety Hour, the Salby Sima Era Podcast, Clone Saga Chronicles, and a Spectacular Radio, a Spectacular Spider-Man-related show that start a few familiar names to the program. Please follow the network on Twitter, at Spidey Dude Radio, and this show, at From Erie, and feel free to send them feedback at gargoylesvoices at gmail.com leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast catcher such as apple Podcasts, spotify podcast iHeartRadio podcasts amazon audible as well as google podcasts it helps us raise our vis- visibility and like share and subscribe for more at spidey dude network youtube.com slash spidey dude network also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as I mentioned the Twitter threads, but also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Network, as well as Instagram, if you like Instagram, instagram.com slash Network. With that out of the way, it's absolutely my pleasure to introduce the hosts of our show, Jennifer L. Anderson and Greg Mashansky. Welcome to another episode of Voices from the Erie. I'm your co-host, Greg Bashansky, and joining me as usual is my co-host and partner in crime, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello, everybody. And rejoining us again, as usual, is the co-creator and co-producer of the first two seasons of Gargoyles and the writer of the SLG comic book, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hi. Greg, first and foremost, I'd like to congratulate you on a very successful fourth season of Young Justice. I thought it was terrific. Absolutely. I thought it, I thought it was terrific, too, but I might be biased. <laughs> Just a little bit. A lot of fun moments this season, and I don't think we ever brought it up here, but certain talismans showing up in Jason Blood's uh, sanctum? Well, uh, you know, Jason's been collecting artifacts for a long time. No one said he had to collect them from Warner Brothers. <laughs> I, su- I suppose he's a more trustworthy custodian than most of the people in Gargoyles who actually got a hold of them. Uh, you know, it's just fun. We just threw in some Easter eggs there. We being um, me forcing the crew to do it. So, um, <laughs> but uh, it's just a fun moment. I mean, again. Not to be taken too seriously. Yeah, so um, I've seen some. Gargoyles is not canon adjacent to uh, to Young Justice, but uh, but it's fun. Yeah, I've seen people actually ask since the talisman showed up, and I'm thinking the force, the lawyers hired by Warner and Disney are more powerful than even Darkseid and the Lords of Order and Chaos. But no, it was a terrific season. I really enjoyed it. And um, 
I'm seeing people complain about Wally still being dead, but um, to quote a different show, what is dead and gone cannot be restored. That's my stance on the whole thing. I know you're not going to say one way or another. <laughs> you tr- you're trying to get the scoop there? Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, I was meant for you to say something sarcastic, and you did. <laughs> Excellent. But we do have an episode to discuss, and um, metamorphosis, and... I believe this was a concept that goes all the way back to the original pitch. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we had the uh, mutates uh, or a version of them in the original pitch. There was a character that Fred Schaefer created called Cat Scanner. At least he created it in writing. Someone else drew the picture. I can't remember off the top of my head who it was. It might have been Bob Klein. It might have been Greg Guler. might have been uh, Dave Schwartz. Um, but uh, uh, Fred came up with the idea for this character called Cat Scan. It was basically a sort of proto version of the character that we ended up calling Talon. Um, and uh, he wasn't Elise's brother yet. Um, but he was a guy who had been turned into this mutate and we thought it was a really fun idea. So when we got into season two, um, you know, I brought it up again and, and by that time we'd introduced Derek and we had, uh, actually, I think we pretty much planned for this back in season one. This was one where I do think we planned ahead. Um, some of the stuff that happened in Gargoyles was just, you know, good luck uh, um, us picking up on a thread and going, where does this lead? But some of it we planned, and this was one of the things that we planned. Um, and, you know, so introducing Derek, putting Derek uh, on Zantos' payroll, um, all that was uh, designed to uh, set us up for this episode. And it's a very pivotal, pivotal episode, a very emotional episode. We'll dive in we'll keep diving into that and we haven't talked about as many of the uh guest actors as i would have liked to like but you know what their role their characters roles are growing so we have more time to do that i thought rocky carroll was fantastic uh i thought rocky carroll was so great i developed an entire animated series for him to star in um after gargoyles uh not as talent in an original Series and I've been trying to sell it on and off, you know, just for the last 25 years. And unfortunately, I've never succeeded in selling it, um, but uh, which is on me. But I, I had planned, I just thought Rocky was fantastic and just wanted to work with him over and over and over again. The way he just changes his voice as he mutates from Derek into Talon, and yet there's you can still tell it's the same person. Yeah. I mean, he just knocked it out of the park. I mean, he was, you know, we cast him in uh, a couple early episodes, um, and he was great. Uh, but, you know, we hadn't given him that much to work with until this point. And, um, and this really, you know, this and her brother's keeper really showed us what he could do. Um, with both the realistic emotional stuff and the sort of uh, high sci-fi, um, high concept sci-fi stuff that 
we'd be throwing at him throughout the rest of the season. And, um, and, uh, you know, whatever he threw at him, he just nailed it. Um, right now, our animators, on the other hand, <laughs> I was, yeah. I, watched it, I watched it last night for the first time in a while and I was, and I just kept cringing. And, but the most cringeworthy thing is that, um, they could clearly not keep the models straight. Um, and so, you know, what we had was Derek's original model and a final Talon model, right? And then in between that, I think we had a model that was mostly Derek, but had just starting to have those pointier ears and the, and the pointier teeth, you know, kind of thing. And then we had a Talon model that was mostly Talon, but still looked a little more human. So we had these, uh, my memory is, is that we had these four models for his progression from Derek to Talon. But there are so many, but, but the ears, those models, <laughs> those models are all in the same location. Mishmash. That's what caused the problem. So yeah, mm-hmm. they kept using model two, which is the mostly human, but, the ears are getting pointy and et cetera. They kept using that in that sequence before he's gotten the injection. Right. And so it's, and I remember now and I'd forgotten about it, but I remember now it was like a nightmare because, you know, every time he opened his mouth, he had the, the, the uh, panther fangs and everything like that. So what we did is, you know, we called retakes, but you can't retake an entire sequence in the amount of time that we had uh, for post-production in those days. So, you know, any scene where his mouth was closed or his face was slightly turned away or it didn't open fully so you couldn't see the fang, um, we were just like, okay, we'll just have to live with this and hope they don't notice that the ears are pointy. But they're so pointy! They're so uh, pointy. <laughs> and it just, I just kept going, oh, God. Oh, no. Oh. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think if you don't know where it's going, maybe you don't notice it. I mean, for the three of us who've seen this show so many times, we can't help noticing it. But I do wonder, like, the first time through, um, if uh, you guys remember what it was like, whether you like felt like, oh my God, what's going on with his model? You know, <laughs> I, I really think the biggest like, thing we... was I was so distracted by everything in the animation on this, like just Elisa's uh, facial expressions and stuff. Every just thing just seemed so off yeah. that I, I don't think I noticed. Yeah, because it. it was. I think it was our first or clearly one of our first Sun Wu episodes. So most of the first season, not all, but most of the first season was animated in Japan, in Tokyo. And, uh, and you know, now most of the stuff on, well, like all of Young Justice was uh, animated in Seoul, Korea, all of, it, all of it. But in those days, Korea's animation industry was young um, and inexperienced and ooh, dicey. And so, hell, Elisa's expression, sometimes their move, her, her facial features are moving on her face um, yeah. in this episode. <laughs> like, literally, like, her mouth, nose, and eyes are actually moving to the left on her face a little, even though her head's <laughs> um, 
And you're just sort of like, stop, stop. Um, and I know we, Frank and I called a ton of retakes, but again, you know, you can't retake an entire show and, uh, in the time that we have. And, um, so you wind up calling the, the most egregious stuff and leaving the stuff that's just uh, cringy. Right. Then of course the, egregious stuff comes back and looks a little bit better. So the stuff that originally was cringy now becomes the egregious stuff in the episode, but you just have to let it go. Um, and so for me, it's very distracting how bad the animation is in this episode. Um, but I hope that when people were watching it the first time, this is what I tell myself so I can sleep at night. Um, or, or at least what I told myself back then so that I could sleep at night. Now I'm a little more sad about it, but uh, is that the story uh, and the performances and the music and everything else, you know, is enough that people just get caught up in it. And they're not, they may like have the subliminal knowledge that something's not quite right, but they're not like just staring at those bad animation for 22 minutes. That I sounds hope. That sounds about right. I've been paying attention to a lot of newbie takes on the show for, since it hit Disney+. Plus. Every now and then I will see someone complain about season two taking a quote-unquote dive in animation quality, which I don't think is fair because, again, you had less than 10 months to produce 52 episodes, and sometimes I think people... Yeah, and listen. I mean, I, I don't think it's... It's not even true. I mean, in other words, if you look at... I mean, literally the worst animated episode of the series, well, at least in the first two seasons, if you don't count the live Chronicles, which I don't. Um, the worst episode of the entire series is Anorant Bath, animation-wise, and that's in oh, yeah. season one. Mm -hmm. And um, and God knows we've got some challengers in season two for that title. <laughs> monsters. But the winner is Anorant Bath. Um, yeah, Monsters is still coming up, and that's pretty bad. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, and this one clearly is up there too, but, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, from a percentage standpoint, I'd say the two seasons were pretty on par with each other. We had some absolutely gorgeous episodes in season two, and we had some absolutely gorgeous episodes in season one. We had some strong, but not stellar ones in both seasons. And we had some mediocre ones in both seasons, and we had some truly awful ones in both seasons. And so it's just a percentage thing. And the mm -hmm. percentage is about the same, but the reason it feels that way is that in 13 episodes on a percentage basis, there's only one that's truly horrible, and that's Enter Macbeth in the first season. But the second season had 52 episodes. So, you know, there are going to be four or five that are kind of awful, and six more or seven more that are mediocre. And so it may feel like you're having to live through more uh, mediocre animation, but the truth is on a percentage basis, I'd say that probably about even, I mean, within range anyway. I mean, it's, it's just, that's life, you know, in, in uh world, you know, you're not going to get uh, on a television budget, stellar animation every single time. I get a lot of people that ask Greg or on Twitter telling me how bad the animation for season three and season four are relative to season one and two. And I, sitting there and I, I do this professionally, you know, 
Um, and I'm sitting there going, have you watched season one and two recently? Because there's some crappy animation back in season one and two also. I mean, I think all four seasons of Young Justice overall have pretty strong animation. Some episodes are really great. Some are mediocre and some aren't so great. Most of them have a lot of great scenes and a couple of mediocre scenes in there. I think what people really are reacting to is that we started using drifting stills in season three and season four, um, which is not about animation at all. Those are design choices. You know, those are uh, storyboarding choices. It's not about the quality of the animation. It's not like the animators forgot to animate those scenes. (laughs) Oh my God, no one's moving. (laughs) <laughs> Didn't they notice that? <laughs> so we made choices in certain flashbacks. Brandon and I made choices in things that were like flashbacks or things that were like storytelling to use drifting stills to give our animators a break so that they could do stronger stuff for us in other parts of the episode. And I'm really happy with those choices because I think overall the episodes as a whole look better for it, way better for it. Um, than what we got in season one and season two, where we were stressing the hell out of our crews overseas. Um, but, you know, and so I'm stunned when people are like, I'm like, what don't you like about the animation in this episode? Well, you have these, this whole sequence with drifting stills. And by whole sequence, they mean, you know, 40 seconds. Um, and I'm like, yeah. Well, that sucks. I'm like, does it? like that's like such a standard thing for anime like yeah that's the thing in anime they do that all the time yeah yeah um Mm -hmm. and i mean they haven't they do entire dialogues i mean you know we do that for voiceover stuff right in anime they'll do entire scenes dialogue where characters talking uh i uh I'm the voice of Sosu and Ikitosin and, and it, you know, I, you go into record, you know, do the English dub. I should have said that from the top. I'm not the original voice of Sosu. I'm the English dub actor for Sosu. And, uh, um, you know, I go in and I got all these scenes where I don't have to do lip sync at all because when uh, <laughs> my character is talking, they've got the camera on the character he's talking to. And then, they cut to me when the other character is talking. So then I'm standing there, I meaning my character is standing there just looking off screen, not moving at all. Or maybe my hair is blowing a little bit, you know. Um, because just a, on, on repeat, just like, oh, yeah. you know. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, okay. <laughs> um, and... And yet, because it's anime, I don't think a lot of people complain about that because that's the style and they're just not used to that. And that's just a tool of Eastern animation that we're using in the West sometimes, and I'm fine with it. In context to my rant here, uh, we were talking before the podcast started about how um, most of the feedback I've gotten on season four of Young Justice has been positive, if not highly positive. And I obsess about the two or three people who are mean to me uh, on social media. <laughs> um, so if I'm ranting, that's why. I just, you know, it drives me crazy. Sort of like, um, this is what we're doing. Um, and if you don't like it, you can stop watching. It's okay. Um, 
but I truly believe that um, we've got a gigantic uh, hate watch audience. I mean, an even bigger audience who actually likes the show, but I've never seen so many people consistently watch a show in order to tweet me about how awful it is. I'm like, wow, you are dedicated to <laughs> me if I don't like a show. If I don't like a show that much, I just stop watching. Me too. Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> Until the next one. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that there are fan, people out there who don't know the difference difference between character designs and animation style. I remember when Spectacular Spider-Man was on explaining yeah. that to quite a few different people. I mean, I'm yeah, not going mean, to... That happens all the time, where it's like, you know, the animation uh, sucks, and it's like, what don't you like about the animation? Well, and and they're It's not the style the they want. Design. Yeah, it's the so, you know, about to some extent, you're going to criticize something, educate yourself on what you're talking about. You can still bitch, but bitch mm-hmm. about the right thing. I mean, I, mean yeah. I, have a, I have a lot of nostalgia for those old Sunbow cartoons from the 80s. The animation wasn't good. It was terrible. <laughs> Switching gears back to the episode and things that are awesome... Tim Curry as Dr. Severius, and I was looking at your memo for Metamorphosis, and it looked like in the memo before Tim Curry was cast, you suggested Brent Spiner. Yeah, I saw that in the memo because you sent me a link to it, and I had totally forgotten about that, and um, I don't know if uh, we'd have to, I doubt he'd remember it, but maybe he might. Um, you have to ask Jamie if I because, you know, that memo was written about the outline of this for the script. So way before the script was finished, way before we were casting. By the time we got to casting, I don't even know if I even remembered to bring up Brent Spider. Um, and obviously, as things wound up, Brent wound up playing Puck for us. Um, and Tim played Severius. And, you know, Brent would have been an interesting choice. But uh, given who Severius was, you can't be Tim Curry. Um Tim was so much fun in the role. And just that theatricality that Severius, uh, the character, brings to his performance. Because, you know, he spends the first two-thirds of the episode (laughs) performing as old Dr. Severius with, like, a German-esque accent and um, a limp and the gray hair and everything like that. And then, uh, you know, only in in the very end does he surprise. Yeah, A, I'm not dead. B, I'm much thinner than you thought, and I'm uh, much younger, and I don't limp, and I don't speak with a German accent. Um, I got this snazzy haircut. (laughs) What what exactly is his regular accent? Jen and I have debated that one for a while. (laughs) I I think his regular accent is Tim's, which is, you know, Tim is English, but uh, lived, lived in the United States for so long that it's in essence, it's pulled into what they call mid-Atlantic, um, which is a term they use for this sort of somewhere between Catherine Hepburn and a Brit, you know, um, <laughs> that sort of New England thing that's just sort of, but a little further to the east, and they call it literally uh, in, in acting terms, uh, they call it mid-Atlantic, as if somehow you were born halfway between England and New England, um, uh, you know, on the sea, and that that accent is that 
interesting mix, and it doesn't exist in real life. I mean, no one has it. But it's so close to something that the audience doesn't recognize it as artificial. You know, it just sounds upper class, you know, um, without literally sounding British or literally sounding, you know, like uh, an American. It's something undefined. And most voice actors, for sure, most actors, I would guess, but most voice actors who do more than just their own voice know what that means when you say, give me mid-Atlantic. Um, and, uh, and they do it. I think Tim has over time, um, just developed this mid Atlantic thing because of his unique, you know, personal history uh, of being someone from great Britain who's spent, you know, at this point, I don't know, 30 years in the U S um, longer, 40, I, I'm not even sure. So it's, it, that's what I think Severius is. And I don't even know if that's conscious. Like it, it might, it might've been, uh, Jamie might've said to him, do something mid Atlantic and he would know what that means. And Tim would have known what that meant or Tim may have just done it. Um, I really am not sure. He was, uh, he was absolutely perfect. Yeah. Definitely. So much fun. So much fun. I mean, again, that's one of the things where I go, Oh yeah, the animation sucks, but we've got Tim Curry. <laughs> he is he is such a legend. I mean, yeah, I've been a fan of his since I, I don't even remember long before Gargoyles even. Well, he did this little thing you may have heard of called Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh yeah, and, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know that quite well. <laughs> my friend's older sister used to sneak us in <laughs> on Saturday night to Rocky Horror because we were not old enough to get in on our own. And she worked at United Artist Theaters. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. That was my first Tim Curry. Like, and like, once you have that Tim Curry in your head, you're not letting him go. Yeah, I've seen the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true for for. I mean all of us who are older than, I don't know what. So old. (laughs) You know, um, that's where we, you know, first encountered Tim was in Rocky Horror. And, um, and after, you know, and so it's like so much fun. Um, you know, we used Tim as G Gordon Godfrey, uh, on justice. Um, and, uh, that, it was a blast, and uh, and Severus was always a blast, always. Um, again, you know the the cast for this show is just so much fun. I mean, you know, we got all uh, almost all our regulars in this episode, uh, and then you throw in Rocky Carroll and Tim Curry, and you're just sort of like we are having a fun time, and. Severius is just such a great character. He's one of my favorites. Sometimes I look at this episode and I think, what about the other employees at Genutech? They work with this guy and then one day he just starts coming in, putting on this performance of being 30 years older with the weird hair and the hunch and the cane. 
I kind of figure that working at Genutech, you've probably seen some weird shit. <laughs> so, like, <I'm, laughs> you know, the wig probably not such a big deal. <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, they brought in Bruno and the Commandos, yeah, um, and dressed them in in uh, you know. 1950s hospital gear or whatever the fuck they're wearing <laughs> in that episode, you know, for the first half until they finally are like, oh, screw it, let's just put on our commando gear because we know the gargoyles are about to show up any minute. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, a, I mean, the whole thing about Genutech is when we first developed the show, we had all these divisions of Xanthos Enterprises. Um, and a lot of them sort of like uh, Scarab Corp. Um, was supposed to be the robotics division. And a lot of them kind of fell by the wayside, but this was one that's like, okay, we need a division that we're going to find out. We're going to reveal that it's owned by Xantos enterprises, but we're not, we needed to have its own name so that at the beginning we think it's like a separate thing. Right. So, so Xantos, uh, and when we developed this thing at first, the name of it, it was Genutech system, and we wound up just largely just referring it to Genutech. But I think my original thought was that it would be this acronym that was like GUTS, because this was like a biotechnology <laughs> firm. So I thought the idea that the acronym was GUTS was sort of cool. But I don't think – I'm guessing that Michael or Bryn uh, or Lydia or someone was like, no. <laughs> you know, they would pull back – from, and go, no, Greg. And I'm like, yeah, but no. Um, or it just didn't, you know, in context, it's just, it was too long a road to get to. You know, you'd have to like, you know, get it, Genutech Systems, G-U-T-S, Guts, you know, and you don't want to have that line of dialogue. So it feels like if it's not immediately visually obvious, then uh, skip it. So, there's one line in there where it's still called Genutech Systems, but mostly it's just referred to as Genutech. And that's fast enough to say that you don't need to abbreviate it further to guts. But I always <laughs> I was always fond of guts. So. <laughs> I love I love that Severius has the full PowerPoint presentation of <laughs> of the gargoyles and stuff. I totally for Xanatos, absolutely not for Derek standing there. Oh uh, well the I whole it's actually it depends on your, uh, you know, in hindsight, you realize it was all for De Derek's benefit. You know, Xantos already knew all this. Um, but yeah, there's the PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Although I don't think we knew the term PowerPoint presentation. No, no, that was pre-PowerPoint. Um, I think we just called it a slideshow back then. Um, That's so old. That makes me feel really old. Okay. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no matter how old you feel, Jennifer, I'm always <laughs> you're still you're always going to be older. I I can just <laughs> I'll hold on to that forever. <laughs> what I like about that presentation and Severius's theories, you guys put more thought into the biology of this species than many quote unquote for adult science fiction and fantasy series do. Uh. You know, it was something that interested us, and we thought we could get stories out of it, and we did ultimately. Um, and the one, I think, uh, caveat about that, you know, people always ask, uh, you know, was Severius right? 
in his uh, assessment about the, you know, you got to eat three cows a day or something like that, and the solar energy. And the thing I've always said is that, um, you know, Severi said solar energy because generally speaking, they're absorbing from the sun, but uh, I don't think it is solar energy. I think it's thermal energy. Um, and they're getting that thermal energy from the sun, you know, nine times out of ten. But we're going to come up on an episode not too far from now where Broadway is underground during the day. And people used to go, oh, he couldn't have absorbed solar energy, so he must be, he won't be able to fly. And I'm like, you know, it's heat that he's absorbing. It's not, and whether it's heat from the sun, it doesn't literally have to be the sun that he's absorbing. I, I, I would think that like the battery would last a little more than just one full day to, uh, as well. Yeah, like, I, think that's, I think that's also true, yeah. He's not Superman. It's not like he needs yellow sun radiation. Uh, yeah, yeah. Broadway needs yellow sun radiation in order to function. He just needs to absorb thermal energy. Um, and even then, it's not like, I mean, we know that Broadway eats. It's not like all his energy comes from thermal energy. It, it you know, it, it subsidizes what he eats so he doesn't have to eat three full cows a day. Um, so he might want to. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he's capable of it. Oh. <laughs> Poor guy, but <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, he's huge. Yeah, like this is not a normal sized person. <laughs> That's so, true. He could definitely put a dent in three cows, I think. And I'm not even happy with us. This episode also introduces Katsusi as Maggie the Cat, another fantastic character, and uh, a little bit different from the other female characters and other characters in general that we've met so far. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about Maggie is that um, she's not a fighter. Um, and I think that's okay. Uh, you know, we wouldn't hesitate to create a male character who wasn't a fighter. But I think we hesitated and, and talked about, Green and Lydia and Michael and I talked about, um, can we do this? Maggie is frightened and she's um, timid and um, it felt a little bit, on the one hand, like, you know, some kind of cliche uh, depiction. And um, the conclusion that we came to collectively uh, was that, you know, it's okay because um, she's in a pretty horrific situation. And, and if we're playing her real, some people would react to that um, and sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, step up and become a warrior or something like that. But not everybody would. And we had enough strong females between Demona and Fox and, of course, Elisa and others that we thought, okay, it's okay that Maggie isn't one of them. And we knew to some extent where we were going with the character and, um, and we felt she sort of helped round out the cast a bit. Um, and, you know, she gets stronger in time, but, um, I mean, there's a great line that I just love in this episode, which is that, um, you know, she's been turned into a mutate and she's talking to the gargoyles and she's like, I'm not like you. I'm from Ohio. Um, and it's sort of like, <laughs> that, I don't know why that line tickles me so much. I'm sure most of it's how, uh, Kath read it, um, because Kath is so great, but it's just sort of like, you know, to her, New York, period is like 
an alien planet, New York City, that is, you know. Um, so I'm from Ohio. I'm from someplace normal. Um, and, you know, my own mental backstory for, for her is that, you know, she was this um, young woman who thought, who acted, you know, in high school or college or both and and um, thought, I'm going to make it in the big city and, you know, came to New York with all her savings, which was probably, you know, $2,000, which was gone almost, you know. In New York? Within a month or two. Yeah, you know, even in the 90s, that mm-hmm. wouldn't last you very long, let alone now. And uh, and so she winds up homeless, um, but in denial, you know. And denial, by the way, this which the thing that Elisa says to Derek, you know, I think you're fooling yourself. That was a, a big time theme through the whole episode, you know. Maggie oh, yeah, is totally. fooling herself that, that uh, um, it's all going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. If I can just get this, if I can just get that, it'll be okay. And Derek is fooling himself that Xanatos is fine and that, and is not a villain and that, um, everything will be fine once I get that cure, that antidote, you know, kind of thing. And even Brooklyn is fooling himself because he's so glad to see someone who's female with wings, basically. <laughs> going mm-hmm. um, who's female that, uh, that he's like convinces himself almost instantaneously that she might be a potential mate for him. Um, which I think is interesting because what that means is he's been thinking about that. You know, we're six guys hanging around this clock tower and we're all that's left of the gargoyle race, except for Demona. And that ain't happening. You know? So Yeah. yeah. She's such a big Brooklyn fan. His, yeah. He, he's, well, and Brooklyn's such a big Demona fan. Uh, <laughs> he's clear. I mean, he's clearly been, um, thinking hard about his own personal happiness, but I think also the long-term viability of the gargoyle race. You know, what does this mean? Are we dead? You know, uh, in a hundred years, is that it? Uh, Kind of thing. Um, Or 200 years, I guess, whatever. But the point is, is that... uh, you know, I don't think Broadway and Lex have been focused on that aspect of things, but Brooklyn clearly has. And so this becomes urgent to him. And as Broadway continues to point out throughout the episode, are we talking about the same person? Because I think she's scared of us, not into you. Um, and and Brooklyn's like, and you, you know, I'll, it'll work out. I'll get her there. Or... No, no, she needs our help, which she does, really. But, but clearly, his motivation is coming from a different place than just, oh, she's a damsel in distress. You know, his reaction isn't the same as if, you know, a human woman had been in trouble. Mm-hmm. Not that he would have abandoned a human woman, but he, uh, but because he perceives her as being gargoylean, his reasoning uh, is less than objective and so it, it's really about you know 
again, back, I, I'm less into themes now than I was back then because we just got the notion that you have to have a theme in every episode hammered into us all the time back in the 90s at least. Um, maybe on some shows they still do it. But, uh, so we just like put that into every um, aspect of this. And it's even there for Xanatos, although, you know, what you find out at the end of the episode is Xanatos is faking it. You know, Xanatos has this big speech about how, no, no, I was fooling myself. I knew that Severius couldn't be trusted or had a bad reputation, but I wanted it so bad that I, you know, I let him run. And, and this is on me. This is my fault. And it's this great moment. And I actually wanted to ask you guys, I mean, again, if you can remember, when you saw this episode the first time, did you believe Xanatos until the end? I mean, did you feel like, oh, yeah, he's... Uh, He's a bad guy. He's not that bad. Um, or did you see through it? Does anyone go first? I'm, I'm absolutely Elisa Maza. I didn't trust him for nothing. Anything that came out of his mouth <laughs> was a lie as far as I was concerned or a twisted truth. But I, you know, I, I just did not trust him. I very clearly remember that. <laughs> I think at the time, a part of me, wanted to believe him and because when you look at this episode this is xanatos at his worst i mean we've talked before about whether he's evil or whether he's just amoral i mean then while we lean towards amoral what he does in this episode is downright evil i mean this is the this is him at his worst and um when we get to the end i recall not being surprised it was a shock but it wasn't a surprise just how far he would go and um and in some ways i think this shows what's so dangerous about xanatos his charm he is so likable that you want to believe him people want to believe him even adult even fans who have come up with the show wanted to believe him. i encountered someone recently who was in denial that he was behind this even after the end of the episode and wanted to blame it on severius because xanatos is just so damn likable well, and that was yeah. the goal. I mean, to be fair to those people, you know, we wanted him to be so charming that you buy into it. And uh, and then the reveal comes. And I love how he complains about how hammy um, Tavares was. <laughs> during this like, turn it down a notch, buddy. God. <laughs> and I should point out that just to show um, the complete lack of originality that I have, um, uh, that later when we did Spectacular Spider-Man and we um, were doing our origin of uh, Electro, um, I just like, how are we going to do this? And I was like, all right, let's just rip off the the, the gargoyles bit with Savarius getting electrocuted by Electric Eel. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll... And we'll just we'll just use that for electro. Well, and <laughs> and then they and then they used it for with then they use it for Jamie Foxx though down the line. Yeah, I know. I know. It all came from <laughs> gargoyles. I, I, you know, I might have sued for that, saying, "Hey, you didn't credit me for that. You didn't even thank me." And then, of course, you know, I'd have to point out, "Okay, yeah, Disney owns that idea. I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> Here's one. One thing I do wonder, um, because I've seen people go back and forth on this, and um, 
I don't want them to think that I'm picking on them. I'm really not, but we've got a couple of major Xanatos fans who listen to this show who are prominent responders on Twitter, and they don't think that Xanatos took Elisa's declaration of war seriously at all. I'm not entirely sure I agree with them on that one, but um, what do we think? Do we think he was rattled by it at all? Well, there's a difference between being rattled by it and taking it seriously. Um, I don't think he was... I don't know that I'd say he was rattled by it, but I do think he took it seriously and took steps. You know, um, and the ultimate step being... Uh, though we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, the ultimate step being Hunter's Moon Part 3, which is that it's hard for her to declare war on the benefactor to the gargoyles, the main benefactor to the gargoyles, the, the guy who's giving them a safe place to live. Um, and that becomes the thing that ultimately diffuses her, um, is that, when you know, after all the, you know, and there's a range, but all the horrible stuff that he's done going back to awakening part two, all the way, you know, through, um, uh, in Arizona, cloud fathers, um, cloud fathers. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, and everything around that, um, it becomes, uh, you know, I think she still would have brought that war home eventually. And so he did the ultimate thing to diffuse her, which is that, you know, what are you going to do? They're living in my home with my wife and my son. And that's what ends the war. And it's an action that he takes. And that's the interesting thing about Xanatos. You know, if someone declares war on him, you know, a lot of villains would sort of say, okay, fine. And they'd attack back. Um, Xanatos can kill with kindness, um, you know, or kill is the wrong word, but you know, it's not like Elisa post hunter's moon thinks Xanatos is a nice guy. I think she still hates him, but what's she going to do? The war's over and he won, you know, uh, he didn't win every little battle. He didn't get everything that he ever wanted, but he got a lot. And when push came to shove, he's got the gargoyles living in his castle, defending it. Wait, are you implying and he's not a pure good guy after season two? Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he—it's—he's uh, an opportun you know, opportunist. Like, he, yeah, he's everybody's amoral. being he's yeah, 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 amoral. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, I think he took her seriously, and but he's an amateur, so he planned. Well, he had to expect it on some level, like yeah, bringing Derek into it I, at all. I, yeah, I do think there's a moment when she says that, and you see the expression on his face. And again, I don't know that I characterize it as rattled, but he's not smiling. He takes it seriously. He respects her enough to take it seriously. Maybe not enough to go, I'm in big fucking trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> but enough, you know, because I think he ultimately is arrogant enough to believe that there's nothing anyone can bring that he can't handle. Um, but he doesn't sort of, you know, he doesn't like, eh, write it off. He, he's like, okay, 
And, you know, I even think choosing Derek, because, you know, he could have chosen 100 people. That's very intentional. I don't oh, know absolutely. that it's vengeance yeah. against Elisa or anything like that. I think it's about, I need another hook into this woman because this is the woman who has the biggest hook into Goliath. So I need a hook into her. And it doesn't work out exactly as he planned, but it comes damn close. Um, and as he says, you know, Talon will be back. And she thinks I'm the only one who can help. And he's not wrong, as we'll find out mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. And this is also why we love him. He is such a he's such a terrific antagonist. I mean, one of my all time favorites to this very day. And nostalgia has nothing to do with it. He's a great character. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I mean, I and I think for the time in particular, um, he was. I hesitate to say it, but he was borderline original. You know, I mean, <laughs> there weren't a lot of guys in certainly not in cartoons. Um, and I don't even think that much in live action like David Xanatos. A lot of antagonists like David Xanatos. I think um, the group of us, Michael and myself and um, and uh, the other regulars on the show, Lydia, Bryn, Gary, Carrie, um, et cetera, um, who wrote this character, I think we landed on something that was truly original and um and that's so hard to do because uh you know as a species we've been telling stories for thousands of years (laughs) but to hit on something that, that really feels fresh to the audience you know that really feels almost unprecedented and he's not because you know He's a trickster figure, and and it's still an archetype that existed prior to Xanthos. I'm not pretending that, oh my God, no one had ever done anything like this before. But but I think in the context of that kind of show, animated or otherwise, I think David was actually something new. Um, And, you know, since then, I've seen lots of characters like that. And I'm not even saying that they came out of David. I like to think that at least some of it did, but um, some of it I'm sure was just other people getting there, but uh, in their own fashion and by their own route. But I do think that in 1994, there weren't, there wasn't anything like David Sanitone. I don't think you can say the same thing for Demona. As original and fresh as I think she is, there's a real, that kind of um, archetype existed in Magneto. Um, and uh, we did a different thing with it and everything, and I don't know that we were conscious of that Magneto connection and stuff, but... but um, And obviously, you know, Marina's performance is so wonderful and, and everything, but, uh, but at least there was a template from comics. But I don't really think there was a template for... for that modern characterization of David back then. I could be wrong, but that's how I feel. I cannot disagree. I cannot recall any at the time either. And uh, he was fantastic in this episode and, and just about every other episode he appears in. I mean, I really enjoy discussing his characters. We go through 
this series episode by episode. I loved our discussion with Jonathan, and I'm sure we're going to have plenty of other great discussions about him all the way up to um, the SLG comic book. So it's great. And we need to talk about that ending because oh, that. <laughs> so heartbreaking. One of the Elisa things. Elisa crying I mean, alone, just not even wanting comfort. I read the memo, and apparently at the end of the memo, it, the, the scene opens with her crying, and then one of Goliath Richardson says, do not worry, this isn't over, and she recomposes herself and agrees with them, and I'm glad you cut that, because that would have made a much less powerful ending. Yeah, I think our feeling was, when it came, when we got to script, maybe even at the outline stage, I mean, that is one step beyond that memo that you keep talking about, which, by the way, you should link in the notes for this show, since you keep referring to it. I shall. Uh, I shall. Uh, but uh, I think when we got, by the time we got to the script stage, certainly, the feeling was, okay, we had this sort of melancholy ending at the end of Her Brother's Keeper, where she sort of gargoyles um, go to sleep with stone, and she's left alone, and the snow's coming down, and it's quiet. And she's thinking, you know, and and obviously she's not happy about how it all went down and how it all turned out, right? In this, it was like, okay, we've got to go further. And uh, again, I, I I just wish the animation was better, but I, but um, you know, offering Lex offering Brooklyn some consolation with a hand on his shoulder is one thing, but then you see Goliath and Hudson and Broadway looking on at Elisa and you see Broadway expression, just like, you know, he is so pissed off that Elisa's hurting because Broadway is so protective of Elisa. And it's funny because we think of Goliath as protective of Elisa, but Goliath and Elisa are equals. And so of course Mm -hmm. Goliath hates that she's crying and is hurting and all that sort of stuff. Not that she's crying, but that she's hurting. Um, But Broadway is like, this woman is under my protection and I don't like this. Um, and then you see her just crying. And, uh, and I think one of the things that was sort of great about, um, the team of Michael Reeves and Frank Parna is we weren't afraid to end there. Um, to say, yeah, and this is where we're going to stop. This is not a happy ending. Um, you know, he dealt her a serious blow like this is this really took her out you know she's hurting yeah um so it it uh it's effective i think uh and i think it's one of the things again that sort of made gargoyles unique for its time that um you know most shows felt the need to yeah do that we'll get them next time moment, you know, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to end on the, the downbeat, so to speak of, of her, um, pain. Um, you know, she says this means war to Xanatos and holds it together. But when she gets away from there, she's a bit broken by what's happened to her brother. Um, they're close. You know, and also she's the oldest and he's her kid brother and and she knows Xantos would not have gone after Derek. Derek made his own mistakes, but Elisa knows Xantos would not have gone after Derek. 
if Derek wasn't related to her. And so she is heartbroken and feels guilty as hell and all that stuff. Yeah. I think that you, that entire sequence almost makes this a, another seminal episode. It doesn't get talked about as much as some others, but like you were saying, how many other animated series did that? Do any do that now? The closest um, I can think of off the top of my head sure was how you, do. yeah. The closest I could think of of off the top of my head was how you ended episode four of this season of Young Justice with uh, Megan crying throughout the end credits. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said with the electric eels, I, I'm not ever ashamed to reuse something that I think is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can call it a lack of imagination or, or a, a laziness or whatever, but, you know, if I think it's going to work, and then if anyone calls me out, I'm like, yeah, that was a great Easter egg. Did you like it? Um, <laughs> like, an Easter egg? She's crying on, yeah, yeah, it's a reference. <laughs> Well, uh, hey, uh, hey, Green Goblin and Mark Allen and uh, Narissa and uh, Shagun. I don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, we do what we do. We got it. We got to earn a living. So. <laughs> uh, so you know, if uh, if it works, I'm fine with that. Uh, anyway, I hate to cut us off here, and you guys can keep talking, but I got to get going. Uh, uh, is, there anything, right. is there anything you want to plug? This will be going up in July. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, Young Justice Targets, the first issue, uh, is out on uh, DC Universe Infinite um, in full form. You can buy uh, it without the backup story now on Comixology. And next month, uh, it will be that. So, July, uh, it'll be available at comic book stores uh, and. Uh, uh, and it's a six-issue miniseries for Young Justice. It's coming out um, uh, from, you know, the six months from June, July, in that uh, two-tier release uh, pattern uh, for the next six months after that. Picks up more or less where Young Justice fans left off. So if you're hungry for more of 16 content, that's what are finding Young Justice targets in DC Comics. Written by me and illustrated by Christopher Jones and Jason Wright. The Dream Team. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jen, I saw your line. That's your line. <laughs> <laughs> I'll forgive you this time. <laughs> no, anyway, we want to we thank you, Greg, and um, I know this episode was a little bit difficult to schedule, but hopefully we'll even things out going forward, and um, I want to th- and Jen, do you have anything you would like to plug? Nope. I've, <laughs> I'm so busy with the new job that I am. Uh, everything else is shut down. So. Well, congratulations. Yeah, All right. Thanks for I, joining us. Thank you for joining us, Greg. And All Jen, right. thank you once again and for everything you do. And listeners, join us next time. Yeah, for, I'm sorry. I got to go. Yep, go. Get on. Get on. What go. are you still doing for, here? All right, right, and listeners, thank you for listening, and join us next time for Legion. Cold Stone's back. Oh, so good. All right. I thought that. Bye bye.
Frankly, Severius, I thought you overplayed the part. 